Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Good morning. Sermon text today is Philippians 3, 12 through 4, 1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I, often, I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved." This is the word of the Lord. Right. Let's pray together. Father God, it is an honor to gather and worship you this morning, <clears throat> to be called your people, to know that through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have been eternally united as one people called to live out our faith together so that the world would see the way we live and the way we love one another and long to know the God we serve. We pray that you would shape us this morning through your word and by your spirit, that we as a community might be conformed to the image of Christ, that we might experience your joy and that you might get the glory. Amen. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Loving this weather, right? We finally got rid of summer. About time. Uh, lots of new faces. Uh, we walk through books of the Bible here, and we're a good ways through the book of Philippians. Uh, been a great book, talked lots about joy, and I just love walking through books of the Bible. Walking through these letters, obviously it's the word of God, and we're the people of God, so this is what we kind of do. But beyond that, beyond what's just being communicated to us through this text, we get to kind of know these people that God used. We get to read their words, we get to see their lives, and, and just kind of 
understand their personalities, their unique personhood, because these were just people. These were people that God used. And it's cool to kind of see how they were different. Like Peter seemed like a cool guy. He seemed like somebody that you would like to hang out with. He'd be a fun guy to go drink some camel's milk or hang out wherever they hung out. Like whatever they were doing. Like Peter's a fun guy, but he's also the guy that you might get in a brawl with some Judaizers, right? He kind of lived hard. He was excitable. But Paul, on the other hand, he had a whole different kind of intensity about him, right? In his own words, he says that, that he wasn't a commanding presence in person, but when he wrote... He wrote with power and with confidence. And you kind of know, like, he probably rubbed some people wrong. I mean, if we look at just last week's text, Paul says, you think that you have reason to boast in the flesh. Well, guess what? I've got more. Like, who talks like that? Right? That's not normal. He literally says, just in case you think you're nailing this life, that you have something to boast about in your flesh, if you want to measure our life by pedigree or achievements or intelligence, I'm, I'm better than you. Just, just letting you know. And not many people could get away with that and not be boasting. But Paul wasn't. I have to believe he was just uber pragmatic. It's like, I just look at the, the data. I'm, I'm better. And, and maybe he was mildly annoying as well, but he was just being straight up. Hey, you think you have reason to boast? Well, I have more. Just letting you know. But we know that he's not boasting because what he says next is, while I do actually have reason to boast in my flesh, none of that matters to me. It's worthless to me. He said in verses 8 and 9, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. All the reasons I could have been put on this worldly pedestal, all the reasons I could get glory from man, I count as worthless compared to knowing Christ Jesus and being found in him. And then right after that in our text this morning in verse 12, Paul says, not that I've already obtained all of this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So not only is Paul a super pragmatic guy, but he's super driven pressing on towards the goal for the prize. And I'll be honest, Paul is speaking my love language here. It really is. He was a crazy, pragmatic, driven man who saw life like a race. Yes, like a war that's being waged for righteousness. And so the low-hanging fruit here is that we need to fight. We need to battle. We need to strive. And I could settle in there for a long time because we need to do these things. But this text is not just about Paul's action and his drive or even his call to action for us. 
Because the shadow of the cross stretches over all of this striving and struggling in such a way that if all we take from this text is that we're to work harder and be more disciplined, to pray more and read more and serve more, then we have missed the power that Paul is speaking of in these verses. The, the catalyst, the, the driving force behind all of this The reason Paul could strive and struggle and suffer was, as Paul says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Back in verse 12, Paul says, not that I've already obtained all of this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And then here's the crux, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the power and the purpose behind everything Paul does and everything Paul says. And he's calling us into this same truth, this same reality. Christ Jesus has made you his own. You are his. Can you wrap your minds around that? This is why Paul could press on. This is why he is striving and straining to live a life worthy of the gospel. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. So just like we talked about a few weeks ago, Paul's call for us is to live a life worthy of the gospel. Or as we talked about, to live as citizens of the gospel. Paul's saying, I am Christ's. He has made me his own. And I want to live into the reality of who I am in him. I don't want to just be his, but I want to be found in him. I want to abide in him because Jesus has already made me his own. That's powerful if we believe it. So kids, listen up. You know that your parents love you, right? You say yes. Yeah. You know that your parents love you, right? My kids better say yes. Do you know why your parents love you? Any ideas? Is it because you always obey? No. Thank you, Isaiah. No. Is it because you always make good choices? No. Is it because you never talk back? You never fight with your siblings, and you never have a bad attitude. No. Isaiah says no. It's because you are theirs. You're theirs. They have made you their own. God gave you to them, and that is why they love you. With all of your imperfections, they know about those. And we have some adopted kids and adults in this room, and we have some parents that are pursuing adoption right now. And what a beautiful picture that is. Your parents literally chose you and made you their own. Or they're in the process of making you their own. Chosen and loved despite your imperfection. And there's nothing you can do or will do or won't do that will cause your parents to stop loving you because a parent's love is not contingent upon what you do. And this is how God loves us. He says, I have adopted you. You are mine. 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's another hard truth to get our minds wrapped around, right? And the reality is that sometimes the longer a person is in the church, the more difficult it becomes to believe this truth. They've been going through the motions of being a good Christian for so long that the very idea that they were chosen and determined for righteousness before they'd started earning credit is hard to believe. In our flesh, we tend to think that our standing before God is the result of our spiritual elbow grease. We intellectually will agree with the doctrine of grace alone, but our flesh always wants to gravitate towards our works, our righteousness, towards boasting in our flesh. It's easy to trade the gospel reality that God's love leads us to obedience for the lie that is our obedience that justifies God's love. But Paul continues in Ephesians verses 4 and 6 of chapter 1, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. God has done it. According to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. So if you hear Paul's words about striving and straining in the pursuit of obedience to Jesus and you have a tendency to think that there's no way that you could pursue Jesus like this, know Jesus like this, walk with Jesus like this, experience Jesus like this because you've done some awful things. You have a, a shady past. You still struggle with sin. This text is saying you're wrong. Not me, the Bible. You're wrong. It refutes all of that kind of thinking because it's saying clearly that God rescues the messy and sinful to the praise of his glorious grace. It's, it's the same gracious dynamic at play that we see throughout Scripture. God said to the little heart-playing shepherd boy David, you're mine. He said to David, the murderous adulterer, you're mine. To Moses, the unqualified, stuttering murderer, you're mine. To Paul, the Christian persecuting murderer, right? It's not a good list. God says, you're mine. I chose you before the foundation of the world for my purposes and for my glory. And in response... Paul becomes a man driven to say, surely my best efforts are garbage compared to the righteousness of Christ. Totally by grace, sealed before the beginning of time. But when we come to know Christ 
the first time, when we first become a believer, when he moves in our hearts and transforms our soul, it doesn't take very long to realize that sin is still going to be a problem, right? It's a problem. The tempter is going to spontaneous, the temptation is not going to spontaneously disappear. Your lust, your pride, they're still going to wage war in your soul. And a lot of believers live in this illusion, whether through bad teaching or their own misunderstanding, that when we're justified by Christ, that is, when we trust in him and he takes the penalty of our sin upon himself, that total sanctification should happen as well. That when we're saved, our struggles go away. And if they don't, that must reveal that you're not actually new in Christ. Or you don't have enough faith right? Because you still struggle. But that is simply not true. It is toxic, gospel anemic thinking. And it's this thinking or teaching, like it doesn't produce righteous people. It produces fake people. People that put on a facade of perfection to cover over the darkness and the sin in their heart. It's what Jesus called whitewashed tombs. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him, that is Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So we have redemption through what? Our efforts? Our righteousness? No, it says through his blood. And we have forgiveness of our, our trespasses according to what? Your personal holiness, right? You're trying really hard. No, it's through the riches of his grace. Right? If only we could grasp the riches of his grace that is ours. So let's look back at verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this. Where I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So why is Paul passionately pursuing Jesus? Why should we continue to pursue him after our conversion? It's because we're, we're broken people who Christ came to redeem. And Christ loves broken, sinful, hurting people. And how encouraging is it to see Paul, right, the super Jew that became super Christian, right? See, Paul saying, not that I've already obtained this. I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. This is Paul, the guy who said to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's counted everything as loss, as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. And yet here he is saying, I'm imperfect. I still struggle. Sin still resides in my heart. Doubt and fear and anxiety still wage war in my soul. I haven't arrived, but I press on because I am Christ's. Because I am in him. He acknowledges that he still struggles. That he needs to grow in some areas. And that he must continue to trust in and follow Jesus. And he frames up this, this life of pursuit as I press on. 
And when Paul talks about pressing on in these verses, many of us have like our task-driven, self-actualizing minds. They have this tendency to direct our focus on like the imperative, on the call to obedience and to miss the power with which we have been given to press on. We emphasize actions and we miss identity, who we are. The life of discipline Paul is talking about here is not a road to justification. It's not a means to salvation. Paul's not saying, I press on so that I might attain salvation. But rather, I press on so that I can experience the fullness of joy that has been freely offered through Jesus Christ. Who bought me with a price, who loved me and claimed me as his own. And there is something immensely powerful about a disciplined life built around knowing Jesus more fully. It is powerful. And the reality of this disciplined, obedient life is driven by the fact that God first pursued us. God first chose us. God first loved us. We didn't do it. And when we grasp the total justification we have in Christ that was declared before the foundation of the world and when we see the ultimate treasure in our life as the promise of eternal fellowship with him, we are empowered to press on in our sanctification. We will become a people who hate sin. We will become a people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because as Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And Jesus says in Revelations twenty two thirteen, 13, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Christ is both the beginning of our salvation and the prize. He chose us in him, and he will bring our salvation to completion. He has made a way through his blood for us to press on towards the promised eternity with him in glory. And in verse 13, Paul says, here's what this looks like. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So our, our justification has been given in Christ. And the promise of eternal glory has been proclaimed in him. But sanctification is a lifelong struggle. It's a painful battle with sin and with our flesh as we long for the promised glory of eternity with Jesus. See, in Christ, godliness has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. But our flesh is constantly pushing back against the Spirit of God within us. Right? If you think you're going to wake up on Monday morning and be spontaneously godly, you're going to be pretty disappointed on Monday. I mean, it may last a few minutes, but Paul says we have to fight for it. We must battle our flesh. We must battle sin. And if you've read much of Paul's letters, you know that he loves athletic metaphors, which is cool because I do too. 
It's awesome. He uses him on numerous occasions to illustrate the struggle of sanctification, the fight for joy. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave. Amen, Paul. Love that. So when I'm frustrated or overwhelmed or struggling, right, when my flesh is messing with me, you know what I want to do? I want to get away from people. No offense, right? I want to get away from people. I want to bury myself in a project. I want to sip on an Americano in my wonderful recliner or retreat into the woods and like cook myself a nice freshly harvested squirrel. Yeah? Don't knock it until you've tried it. They're better than you think. It's true. But food, caffeine, sleep, busyness, entertainment, right? Those are the go-to. I'll take whatever I can get to kind of numb myself from the struggle. But what I need is Jesus, right? What I need is to press in and pray, to, to dive into the word, to call some dudes and confess, hey, I'm not good right now. I need you to speak truth into my life. I need to throw myself at the feet of God and confess once again that I've tried to take the reins of my life. I'm trying to do it my way. And it's not working. I've stopped fighting for joy and I've settled for the temporary satisfaction of appeasing my flesh. And this is what Paul's getting at here. He's going, this is what my flesh wants. My flesh wants numbing distraction, mindless entertainment. But that's not what it needs. It's not what I need. And Paul says, one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible, I beat my body and make it my slave. Yeah. And you're in your Bible, you're like, my Bible doesn't say that because we always preach from the ESV, but I went to the NIV because this is way cooler. Right? <laughs> I just, I did that. I wasn't even going to tell you. But you're like, he's not even preaching the word. So I have to tell you. The ESV is cool too. I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Right? But sometimes our flesh needs a beating. Right? It just does. So... Choose whichever you want. I'm going with I beat my body and I make it my slave. I subdue my flesh. I do not run aimlessly. I fix my eyes on Christ. I know where I'm trying to get. I know the power that is mine as a child of God, so I press on. I fight with everything in me to abide in Christ, to be found in him. And listen, it's not easy. Pressing into faithfulness and prayer in the word for many feels like January 1st at the gym, right? Gym membership, January 1. We know where that story goes. We've seen the cycle over and over. We got it planned out six days a week, two and a half hours a day. Boom. Monday, January. We'll say January 1's Monday. What happens on February 1? How do I get out of this thing? They keep charging me every month. Why do they do that? But here's the beauty of the gospel. You know what Paul says to do with 25 or 35 or 55 years of failure, of lukewarm faith, 
of roller coaster like obedience to Christ? Forget it. That's what he says. Forget it. Put it out of your mind and press on. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So take all your failures, all your disappointments, all your struggles and sins and lukewarm faith and lay them at the feet of the cross. Experience the joy of Christ's immeasurable love as he calls you his own. And in the same way, take all your triumphs, all your successes, all the things that you've piled up on your little altar of self-actualization, those things that you've used to convince yourself that you're worthy of Christ, and forget them. They are rubbish, refuse, or shout out to John, they are poop. It's his favorite word. What Paul's saying is that he wants to forget anything behind him that might rob him of his pursuit of Jesus Christ. This includes his failures as well as his achievements. There is nothing in your life bad enough or ugly enough to disqualify you from his grace. And there is nothing good enough or pure enough to earn it. Christ has already claimed you for himself. He has made you his own. From before the foundation of the world, you were determined for glory in him. And once you've grasped that reality, there is that there's nothing that you can do to earn his love. Press on. With every breath you breathe, toil and struggle to know Christ more. To be found in him every second of the day. And know that there will be opposition. There will be. Do you think it's coincidence that Sunday morning, right before church, the newborns have blowouts? It's like clockwork. Or your five-year-old has a temper tantrum? Or right before small group on Wednesday, you get in the most ridiculous fight with your spouse? It's amazing. But there is a war being waged inside of every one of us. And if we do not subdue our flesh, it will control us. Your flesh, your old self, the old man, the old woman, whatever you want to call it, it wants nothing to do with Christ. Nothing. They are in opposition. And you know what it looks like when your flesh is in control? It looks like talking about wanting to be in the Word. Talking about wanting to pray more. Talking about wanting to get engaged with the community but filling your time and your mind with everything else. So how do we live out our faith like Paul? Where's the source of power to strive and press on in our daily lives? I mean, it's so easy to look at only his actions and say, there's no way I could have that much discipline, right? It's Paul. There's no way I could ever suffer as much as Paul. There's no way I could struggle and toil like him. And that's true. As long as we're focusing only on the present struggles or challenges or difficulties of life, we will never overcome them. You see, the difference between Paul and us is not primarily that he had more discipline or that he worked harder. 
but that he had an unshakable view of the glory of Christ. Unshakable. Paul said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God has a call on each and every one of our lives through Jesus Christ. And the prize, the ultimate treasure that Paul fixed his eyes on was Christ himself. Everlasting enjoyment and fellowship with Christ is what drove Paul to press on. It's what drove him to count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing him. And listen, there's probably some folks in the room that if you're honest, eternal glory with Jesus right now isn't as motivating to you as the things this world has to offer. It's okay to be honest there. The desires of the flesh have a grip on you. And if that is the case, I would encourage you to confess that to God today. To ask him to open your eyes to his glory. To awaken your heart to the joy of his presence and stir your affections for him. Because he who has promised is faithful. This is why we fight. This is why we press on. Because Christ has made us his own. Because he loves us and he predestined us for glory in him. And because we trust that our ultimate joy is found in knowing him more and being transformed into his likeness. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father God, it is a humbling reality to know that before the foundation of the world, you loved us and called us to yourself. That you chose us long before the day that we chose you. God, we pray that you would give us the faith to believe this more and more each and every day. And that this truth would compel us to press on, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not to earn anything, but to live into the reality of who we are in Christ. And to experience the joy of his presence. God, that our joy might proclaim your glory to a world in desperate need of hope. To the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Amen.